0: Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Which branch of the military has the toughest training course for its officers and special operators is a matter of animated debate. No question, the Army's Ranger School is a viable candidate for carrying that designation. Over nine weeks and three grueling phases, soldiers undergo physical, mental, and emotional challenges that test their endurance, resilience, and leadership. My guest today went through Ranger School twice. First as an infantry officer in 2004, and then just last year as the first journalist to embed with the class all the way through the course. His name is Will Bardenwerper, and he wrote an article about his experience for Outside Magazine called Army Ranger School is a Laboratory of Human Endurance. Will and I began our conversation with why he wanted to observe Ranger School from a third-party perspective after participating in it firsthand as a soldier. Will then explains the difference between earning your tab by graduating from Ranger School and being an official Army Ranger who belongs to the Ranger Regiment Special Operations Force. Will then gives us a big-picture overview of the three phases of Ranger School, bending phase, mountain phase, and swamp phase. We then dive into what happens at each phase, taking side trips along the way, into the controversy of allowing women into the course, whether or not it's gotten easier since Will went through, and the importance of doing well in the combat patrol exercises and peer reviews in which this Students participate. We end our conversation discussing the lessons in endurance that civilians can take away from those who graduate Ranger School and earn the tab. After the show's over, check out our show notes at AWM.islash Ranger School. Will joins me now via clearcast.io. All right, Will Bardenwerper. Welcome to the show. Great. Thank you for having me. So you are a former U.S. Army infantry officer, also the author of a book, The Prisoner in His Palace. Um, but back in 2019, you joined a class of soldiers and officers who were going through ranger school. The thing is, though, you yourself, you graduated ranger school back in 2004. Why do you think it was necessary to go back as a third-party observer to write about what it was like to go through ranger school when you already did it yourself?
1: Well, I think that's that's a good question. And maybe the, the way I begin the article is the, the best way of answering it, which is that, you know, I'm lucky enough to have spent 14 or so months in Iraq during a pretty violent year there and in, in a pretty violent place. But luckily enough, I don't almost ever have bad dream about that experience. However, not a month goes by when I don't wake up in the middle of the night from a nightmare, imagining that I have to go back to ranger school. And so I think for that reason, I, I decided to go back in an effort to kind of discover
0: what it was about that experience that, you know, impacted me the way that it did. Well, so let's talk about the Rangers for those who aren't familiar with them, because I, I think, I don't know, I say in the past 20 years, like out of all the special operations groups in the military, the Navy SEALs have probably gotten the lion's share of attention in the popular press and the media. So a lot of people aren't familiar familiar with the Army Rangers. What sort of operations do the Rangers take part in? Like what's their specialty?
1: Um, I mean that yeah, that that is, I think, a a valid point for whatever reason the SEALs have garnered, you know, a lion's share of, of the publicity. But I mean, I think you know, for for most folks not too familiar with the military, but maybe they have seen a few of those SEAL movies. You know, they're not that dissimilar. Obviously the army doesn't, you know, engage in the an underwater operations that seals are capable of, but as far as the kind of work that they've been doing in Iraq and Afghanistan, there are quite a few parallels. The Army Rangers are special operators; they're highly trained, very selective, and the kinds of missions that they would engage in would be, you know, a- along those same lines of uh, attempting to locate, capture, potentially kill, you know, high-value targets, you know, sometimes behind enemy lines, so to speak, in dangerous places. So you think about your traditional raid, where you're trying to to to, to find an enemy target. Um, that would be the kind of mission that they would engage in. They're also very skilled at reconnaissance operations. I mean, if you think back, I think a lot of people are probably still familiar with the movie Black Hawk Down. That was a a group of Army Rangers and Delta Force operators, who were assigned to capture a Somali warlord, the mission kind of went south, and they had to to fight their way out of a pretty uh, tricky situation. But um, that's that's the sort
0: of mission that that they would often be assigned. Well, another interesting thing about the Rangers, so you can earn your Ranger tab, but then you can also be part of the seventy fifth Ranger Regiment. So what's the difference between the two?
1: yeah it's a little tricky i guess you know for those not in the army and, and well versed in in the the nuance of these things so the 75th ranger regiment is that special operations component of the army and the way it typically works on the enlisted soldier side would be that you you sign a contract to to join that or to have the opportunity essentially to to join the Ra- ranger regiment assuming you pass all the prerequisites and so a young soldier that that signed that sort of a contract would go to base Basic training. He'd go to his infantry training. He'd be assigned to one of the ranger regiment battalions, and then pretty quickly, you know, within the first year or so, he would go to ranger school, and and he would essentially have to pass ranger school in order to return to the ranger regiment and be assigned there on a more permanent basis. So for them, it's almost like a you know an extended tryout in order to remain in the regiment. It gets a little more tricky on the officer side of the house, because officers are generally not allowed to go straight from like West Point, for example, or or ROTC or Officer Candidate School, as I did, and become an officer in the Ranger Regiment. They would need to go to a conventional combat arms unit first. And then if they were a high performer there, they would then have a chance to apply to uh, be selected to be an officer in the Ranger Regiment. And I guess just the final part, to that answer would be for someone like me as a young infantry officer who was commissioned from uh, officer candidate school, we are afforded the opportunity to go to ranger school, receive that high quality training. And then the theory basically goes that we can return to whichever uh, infantry unit that we are assigned and impart You know, some of those skills and some of that knowledge to the young soldiers that we are responsible for leading. So that's kind of the reason why young officers would go to the school, even if they were not immediately destined to go to the Ranger Regiment.
0: So, I mean, why did you, was that the reason why you went to Ranger School and, and earned the TAB so you could do that? Or was there something else going on there?
1: Um I mean no it's if for an infantry officer it's pretty much expected that that you go and and give it your best shot clearly not everyone completes the course but you're at least given the opportunity to attend and to try so yeah I mean it was it was an expectation but I think for a lot of young officers such as myself it's also you know an opportunity to kind of prove ourselves and I think that the you know one of of the underlying principles is that if you can you know withstand the physical and the psychological stresses and challenges of ranger school, you're going to be better equipped when you get to your first assignment because you'll have at least a, a degree of confidence that comes with knowing that you've, you know, at a minimum, you can go a, an extended amount of time without a lot of food, without a lot of sleep, and be assigned to lead guys uh, who are equally stressed and fatigued. And so I think, you know, in addition to the whatever tactical skills you are are expected to learn, there's a degree of, of confidence that comes with that, that ideally you emerge from the of course, having gotten
0: and that will serve you well as you move forward in the army. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it all? Isn't Ranger School also open to people in other branches of the military?
1: Yes, there there are a handful. Uh, you'll see a few Marines, a few Air Force folks. It, it typically, they will draw from those organizations. You know, more more specialized units as well. There's not a lot of them, but but there will be there will be some. And there actually are, are,
0: are some foreign students as well on occasion. Mm-hmm. So this article you wrote for Outside Magazine, you talked about how Ranger School is this sort of laboratory. And you were talking about that, this laboratory of human endurance. And I think one of the interesting things that was useful were you going back and – in in walking through the class with with this with these guys you're going through is that you're able to like talk to them and get their experience like i mean something that's different to hear like write about your own experience but then actually like hear from someone else and their perspective so let's talk about ranger school and this experience you had first start, start off big picture how long is ranger school and what are the phases like a big overview and then we'll dig into the details with each phase here in a bit
1: Sure. So it it, it's essentially nine weeks, you know, sixty two or sixty three days, and it takes place in three three week phases, as you called it. It begins at Fort Benning, Georgia, at a place called Camp Darby. And, as the battalion commander there explained to the students, and as it became you know clear to me um, as i observed, really the only the, the only individual you know physical assessments that 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 take place are on those first three or four days when you're when they go through a sort of a battery of of physical fitness tests that are basically designed to determine you know if you're uh, you know in shape to to complete. The rest of the course, and so those are pass/fail. Uh, if you pass, you move on. If you fail, you basically get sent home. And then, so that's 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 the better part of the first week, and that's followed then by two weeks of simulated combat patrols, and, and those basically take the the same general form throughout the rest of the course in the ensuing two phases as well. And I can I can you know maybe we can come back to to what that's all about because that's really at the heart of what the course is all about, but uh, after that 3 weeks you get if you're you know successful you move on to what they call mountain phase which takes place in north georgia right along the tennessee valley divide at the very southern tip of the appalachian trail you have three weeks there, and if you're successful there, you move down to Florida for the final phase, which is called Florida Phase or Swamp Phase. It takes place on the Florida Panhandle at a place called Eglin Air Force Base. the The Ranger School has like a little outpost on on this larger Air Force Base, and that's the final three weeks. And if you finish that successfully, then you uh, go back to Fort Benning and you graduate. So that's basically how it, it it's laid out. It's it's nine weeks, three three week increments, and at no point will you basically expect should you expect to sleep more than about 4 hours and more often than not they're sleeping maybe 1 to 2 hours outside in the elements and eating if they're lucky you know two prepackaged MREs meals ready to eat a day so that you 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 have a pretty dramatic calorie deficit that's built up because you're burning you know in the neighborhood of 6, thousand plus calories and you may only be consuming you know three or four thousand calories so that's why you, a lot of the students graduate and they've lost 15 20 pounds over the course of that time period
0: And that's all on purpose because that's part of the training.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, lack of sleep and lack of food makes everything more difficult. Um, And again, you know, I think the idea is you're preparing these soldiers for combat and you want to kind of simulate some of the stresses that you may encounter. Overseas as best you can in a situation where they're not in any actual you know danger of someone trying to to kill them. So you can f- try to identify other stressors that can make their leadership you know uh, evaluations more challenging. So that that's how the school generally works. And and if you like later on in the in the conversation, I can get into a little more about the the
0: patrols and and what the students are kind of uh, evaluated on. Well, let's let's move that. So let's talk about that bending face. You're doing that physical fitness test, see if you're you're mm-hmm. in shape for that. Then you do the simulated patrol. Mm -hmm. What are they? What are they being evaluated? What is? What are those uh, simulations like?
1: Sure. So the physical fitness tests, you know, on the surface are actually not. You know, I think most fit. You know, I I go to a CrossFit gym, for example, and you know, I think most of the the folks that come to my gym, you know, on a good day would be able to do forty nine push ups, fifty nine sit ups, run two miles and whatever it is, you know, under, uh, I can't remember the exact amount of time. There are, actually, it's a five-mile run in under 40 minutes. And then there's some other tests, a land navigation test and a combat water survival test. But, you know, on their own, you know, they're, they're probably not, you know, very intimidating to, to a, a, a young fit athlete. But what makes them more difficult is the fact that you're doing those, you know, essentially in the middle of the night, you're getting, getting woken up at three in the morning, it's pitch dark, it might be raining, it might be cold, it might be muddy, you haven't eaten. And you know that, you know, that the future of your army career to some extent is going to be impacted by your performance. So there's a lot of professional stress. So something, you know, it's a lot different to do 49 pushups in the comfort of your gym on a good night's sleep after a nice meal than it is at three in the morning in a driving rainstorm, you know, having not eaten and not slept and in conjunction with all these other tests that are being administered. So assuming you can get through that portion of the, the first week, then you transition into those patrols, and and that's really at the heart of what Ranger School is all about. And how that works is, each day you wake up, you know, let's say again, you know, three in the morning or so, and you're broken into to let's say maybe a thirty man platoon, and, and then four squads within that, and the Ranger instructors will then identify a group of three, four leaders for that day's operation. That might be a raid, it might be an ambush, it might be a reconnaissance. And they then will be evaluated over the course of the next you know, 20 or so hours on their ability to accomplish the mission. And as, as a student, you need to successfully accomplish one leadership role during each phase to move on to the next phase. And you might get two to three opportunities in the event that you fail in your first attempt. And so that's essentially at the heart of what Ranger School is. It's, it's, it's the Ranger instructors observing you as you spend a day leading your, your fellow uh, Ranger students on that day's combat mission. And they're soldiers whose job it is to play the part. Of the enemy for all of those missions. Um, So they try to make it as sort of lifelike and and realistic as possible. So if it's an ambush, you know, you'll go to the location, it might be a, a pretty long overland movement through the woods, you have to navigate your way there successfully, you have to put your soldiers in place, and then the soldiers will play the other soldiers will play the part of the enemy, you know, coming down the road that you then engage in your ambush. And so that's how it works. And at the end of it, the ranger instructor will take the leaders aside and will explain to them what they did well and what they did uh, not so well.
0: And that's the thing, the big takeaway I took from this that you often think of these, these special operations schools as very about the individual, your ability to endure individually. And yeah, there is that, but like really, the, the most essential the part of those things is like, can you lead and work as a team like mm-hmm. that seems like the thing that's the most important part of this, or what what the, what the instructors are trying to get through their heads? Mm-hmm.
1: No, that's absolutely right, um, and that is something that I think became more clear to me watching it than was maybe clear to me when I was a, a student going through it fifteen years ago, when I think I kind of viewed it more as kind of like a an individual tryout to evaluate you know just how tough you were as an individual and what you could endure. Clearly, that's important. But what's more important is your ability to contribute uh, to the group. And the students who uh, I, I, you know, kind of started to observe as being among the more successful ones were the ones who were always externally focused on picking up their teammates. You know, even when they were not in a leadership position, they did it all the time. And so, you know, what, what really contributed to their success was their ability to figure out what am I good at, you know, maybe I'm just a real big, strong guy, and I can carry more equipment than other people when we're, you know, on these endless, you know, marches up and down the mountains. Maybe, uh, as the case was the case with with one or two of the the younger uh, female officers, who weren't as physically imposing, but they were really good at delivering operations orders, which is something that's very important for young officers to be able to do. And so maybe there was a young soldier going to the Ranger Regiment who didn't have a lot of experience with that, and so they could help him out with that. So it was critical to kind of identify what is it that I'm good at, how am I uniquely qualified to help this group, and then do it. And and what I really found to be interesting was the fact that not only did that help the group And not only did it help those soldiers when it came time for there to be these peer evaluations, which we can discuss later, but it helped the soldiers themselves because it took them out of their own minds. If you're actively engaged helping other people, you're less likely to just sort of recede into your own discomfort and misery and kind of the dark places that you can go if you allow your mind to go there.
0: We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And now back to the show. Well, so you mentioned something: women now can go to Ranger School. That always always hasn't been the case. When were women allowed? And was there was there any controversy about that allowing females to take part in Ranger School?
1: Yes, and I wish I could give you a good date, but I would say it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, of twenty, maybe sixteen ish. I might be off a year or two in, in either direction, but around that time period, I think to date there have been somewhere in the neighborhood of forty that have graduated. So, I mean, it's still a very small percentage, for example, in the, you know, in the platoon I was covering of 30 people, I think there were two You know, so it's not it's certainly a small number, but there are some now who are are going through. And one of the ones who graduated with the course I covered was among the the higher performers. She did she did exceptionally well. And yes, there was controversy, as there has been with the decision to kind of allow women to to join combat arms units to begin with. And I think that was, you know, for a number of reasons, some valid, probably some less valid. But the fact is that from what I observed, you know, they were treated pretty much the same as as uh, everyone else, by the instructors and by their their peers. Now it so happened that the women I was following were among the the higher achievers. Had they been struggling, you know, I don't know if that would have changed sort of the the chemistry among the platoon. But in, in the situation I found myself watching, it actually went, I think, surprisingly smoothly, given just the the realities of of what life in the, the field is like and the complications that you know, could have arose had, had
0: things not been managed as well as they were. And you mentioned, you know, there's some of the, like the valid and invalid, what were some of the valid and invalid, you know, reasons do you think people, there was a controversy? Um, I mean, I
1: think there's always the concern, you know, over standards and, you know, will standards, you know, especially some of the physical standards be reduced in order to, you know, make it more likely that women can pass. I think in, I think ultimately, there there were very few things that I noticed really that were any different from when I was there. There was one change, but I think this predated the admission of women, but it, it I think made the school maybe slightly less physically demanding, um, cumulatively. And that was, we did a, uh, 16 or 17 mile road march carrying all our equipment, you know, so 80 plus pounds at the end of that first week. Whereas now they do a 12 mile march with less weight. And so, I and a lot of other students, you know, after just one week already had feet that were completely torn to pieces. And so we were essentially limping around on those combat patrols, trying to do the best we could, but in a lot of physical pain, which of course makes everything else harder. I think these students, you know, got out of that first week, maybe in slightly better physical condition, just because of the, that, that March had changed. But aside from that, you know, I I certainly, when I did the article, I didn't want to be one of these guys who, who said, you know, oh, you know, I went through it when it was hard and, and now it's gotten easier because I think pretty much since the first class, <laughs> every ensuing class has said that about the next class. Um, and And that's not really the case. I mean, you still don't eat, you still don't sleep. There's still a lot of stress. You're still out in the cold and the rain and the mud. You know, those things haven't changed, even if there's a few things here and there that, that have maybe made it, you
0: know, ever so slightly more manageable. All right. So you do binning phase, you start those combat uh, patrols, there's battle patrols. After that, you go to mountain phase and you're still more patrols, but what what's going on there? How, does, how, do, they, how do the instructors you know, ramp up the stress to make it harder there?
1: Yeah, well, so to, just to get to mountain phase, you need to have earned, you know, what they call a go. So you need to have successfully passed one of those patrols. Not everyone does. I think fifty percent of the incoming class doesn't even make it through that first, you know, three or four day uh, test of physical fitness. And so there's a smaller group of people, you know, moving forward at that point. But yeah, assuming you you pass your patrol, you get through the fitness prerequisites, you move on to the mountains. I mean, what really changes there isn't so much. Additional stresses the instructors give you. It's the mountains and the terrain, and you go from kind of walking across, you know, relatively flat Fort Benning. Even though there's some, you know, kind of dense vegetation and and swampy elements to it, it, for the most part, it's it's relatively flat. You get to mountains, and all of a sudden, you know, a five-kilometer patrol looks a lot different when when four of those kilometers are straight uphill carrying 100 pounds on your back and so that's one element that makes it tougher i think most people agree that the mountains are in many ways the toughest phase uh, primarily for that reason just because you're carrying so much weight over such long distances over such challenging terrain and then the the weather of course you know up in north georgia can be uh can be rough you know the the winter weather in particular uh, there can be snow and cold uh, i went th- through with this class, you know it was already March, I believe, into April, but there were still nights where it was freezing at night and you know they're just sleeping out there, you know they're not in a, in a tent or in any kind of shelter. I mean they're just on the ground. And so that makes it of course pretty pretty difficult as well. And, and they're not always walking on nice paths. you know it's not like a, a nice trail. some kind of t- times they're just breaking brush, going downhill at night with no visibility. Over steep terrain, not on a trail, so people are falling down left and right. It can be it can be, a, it can be a,
0: a real mess. Well, speaking of the weather, when you were the crew you're with, like some two soldiers got hit by lightning up on the mountain. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was more than two. Actually, it was it was I think four, four or five, including an instructor, got hit. I actually wasn't on that particular patrol, but I, I spoke to the people who were, and yeah, I mean they were. I think it was they were very fortunate to escape uh, serious. Injury, and and that's not entirely uncommon. I had spoken to some other folks who had been through different classes that also had either had near misses or, or been hit by lightning. In this case, they were medically evacuated and, and they returned to duty the next day. But um, but yeah, you're you're dealing with some pretty unforgiving weather in those mountains.
0: And when you when you were talking with these soldiers during the mountain phase, like what were the things that they were struggling with the most uh, that they were willing to share with you?
1: Well, that was kind of one of the cool parts of the story was was being able to sort of earn their trust and have them confide in me. I mean, that was what I spent the first three weeks doing was trying to establish a rapport with with a handful of soldiers so I could kind of tell this story through their eyes and through their experiences. And um, and they maybe shared with me things that they wouldn't be too, you know, as enthused to tell their friends Um and so yeah, I think I think one element of it is just this the uncertainty of, you know, what am I gonna finish or not or or get recycled, which is kind of this other thing that can happen if you if you don't earn your go on a patrol, you don't necessarily get dropped from the course. You may be given the opportunity to pick back up with the next class, but that means you have to wait four more weeks until they come through. And so that's four more weeks away from your family and your loved ones and your friends and and just you know the comforts of of society. So it was just this uncertainty, you know, when am I going to see my girlfriend again or or, or my wife or, or my buddies, you know, am I going to get graduate in time for the, you know, you name it, the Super Bowl or the World Series or whatever, you know, event is on the horizon that people are looking forward to. And just the sense of, you know, we're, 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 uh. Kind of occupying this weird limbo, and we're 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 disconnected from everything that that we enjoy in life. And you know, when when is it going to end?
0: That that was kind of the source of 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 some of their anxiety. So you mentioned earlier, after each phase, so like the bending phase, the mound phase, after all these patrols, that they're the soldiers are getting evaluated by the instructors, but also by their peers. And that's kind of a weird situation because a bad evaluation by one of your peers could like end your Ranger School experience. Like you, you could recycle, or maybe you're just done. So, with that in mind, was like, there any pressure like not to give bad reports? They didn't want to ruin some guy's chance at the tab. Yeah.
1: So that's, I mean, that's a a very unique and important part of the school is is what they call these peer evaluations. And so after each phase, and and I guess the short answer to the question is is no, because you have to. Evaluate all of them, and so you're given essentially a scorecard, and you have to rate everyone in your squad from one, highest to you know, f- let's say fourteen lowest. So you can't just say no, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to vote. You have to, um, and and someone has to be number one, and someone has to be number fourteen. I don't know the exact formula, but if enough of your peers vote you, you know, in the bottom third, let's say, you can either get dropped or recycled. I think they basically. They'll take that in conjunction with how you did on your patrols, what the ranger instructors had to say. And if the ranger instructor said this guy was was a disaster, and all your peers say he was a disaster, you know, more than likely you're going to get dropped. If the your peers may say, you know, hey, maybe not the best performer, but the instructor saw some good things or some potential, maybe they'll give you another chance with the next class. But yes, I think, you know, that can be a, certainly a rude awakening for for some students. I mean, there was one student, I believe, who in the first phase was literally ranked dead last by all 14 of his peers. And so I would have to think that's kind of devastating to learn. But, you know, if there, I guess that if there's anything good to come of it, it it can help him to identify his weakness and, and try to improve, you know, before he potentially is in charge of, you know, real soldiers in a, in a a real more high stakes situation. But yeah, that, that's an interesting part of the class. And it leads to, I think, you know, a lot of stress among,
0: you know, some of the, the weaker performers. So after mountain phase, it's swamp phase. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where does this take place again? And then what, what goes on there same yeah. just, is it more of the same yeah so that that takes place down in the florida panhandle it's it's in the
1: swamps as the name suggests and it's the same idea as far as you're you're doing these combat patrols and you're being evaluated on them i guess one of the changes there is that you know some of them are waterborne on zodiac boats I should have said that during all these phases, you're doing some airborne operations. So you're, you're actually jumping out of, uh, airplanes and then there's some air assault movements. So they're doing, uh, operations on uh, Blackhawk helicopters. And then in Florida, you would do, yeah, some airborne, some air assault and some, uh, some waterborne combined with just, you know, slogging through the swamps through, you know, up water that can be up to your, your neck, you know, obviously surrounded by snakes and whatever else are, are in the swamps. But yeah, you're being evaluated on, on your missions. Um, I think that for a lot of the students, uh, by that point, though, they're so close to the finish line that that it's it's perhaps not as challenging as the mountains were simply because, you know, you can see the end at the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And by that point, you've already successfully finished two phases. So there's an, a degree of confidence that comes with the fact that, you know, I earned my go in Benning. I earned a go in mountains. I've probably gotten some decent peer reports at this point to have made it this far. And, you know, I'm only two or three weeks away from graduation. So I noticed that there was actually a little bit of bounce in the step of the students I was following when they got to Florida for for those reasons.
0: So some of the most poignant parts in your article were when you were talking to these guys after they they failed, they, they got a no-go. Mm-hmm. And how, I mean, what was the typical response if you talk to a guy that they got the no-go after a mountain phase or bending phase or swamp phase?
1: Oh man, I mean it, it it was tough. And and I mean I I had gotten to know some of them. I had grown to like them. I was kind of, you know, rooting for them, so to speak. And so to see them come up short, you know, it was, you know, I felt for them for sure. You know, not in all cases. I mean, in some cases, they they were just, you know, they, they just, you know, had had just not done well at all. And 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 you know, but but for others, there were guys who were you know just right on the fence and were really trying hard, and their heart was in the right place, and they were giving it one hundred and ten percent, and their performance, you know, wasn't necessarily terrible. It's it's just not a perfect science, and sometimes people don't don't pass. And so, um, you know, their responses were usually they weren't all uniform, but I would say there they were there was kind of a weird mix of like short term frustration and sadness but coupled with a little bit of relief you know hey this is over and and for better or worse i'm going to be home you know eating a, a pizza with you know my loved ones in 24 hours. And, you know, the misery is, is finished. But I think an awareness that, you know, despite that, it's something that they're going to regret and, and that's going to stick with them for a long time. So yeah, there, I mean, there were, there were some, definitely some, you know, kind of depressing scenes of guys, you know, giving their best and coming up short. a lot of them decide they're going to
0: recycle and try again?
1: If they're allowed to, most of them did, you know, attempt to do it again. In a few cases, there were guys who had already recycled once or twice, you know, so they've already been in this place for like over a hundred days. Oh, so I think I think there was one guy that had was pushing like two hundred days, you know. So I mean, that's yeah, it's like thinking, that's like
0: Groundhog Day, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's like a horrible Groundhog Day. I mean, the quality of life is definitely far worse than at you know a minimum security prison. And so imagine like a two hundred day, you know, sentence. Of, of jail. And it's, it's pretty much worse because you're, you know, you're not, you know, sitting in a climate controlled room, you know, napping or watching TV. You're, you're, you're out in the mud and the rain, you're not eating. You're, I mean, it's just, it's, it's miserable. And so in a few, in a few cases, those guys did just say, you know what, I'm out of here. I just, I can't be away any longer. In one case, there was a guy whose best friend was getting married. He was the be- going to be the best man. And he just said, you know, this, this is an important relationship. I've been here for, you know, hundred plus days I'm not you know necessarily confident the outcome's going to change if I try yet again you know I'm done
0: I'm, I'm I'm I've given it my best and and I'm moving on and when you talk to the the students that made it through Ranger school what did they say that kept them going even when they wanted to quit
1: There were all different kinds of of motivations, and and they would often write, you know, some kind of like an inspirational little slogan inside their their patrol cap and, you know, look at it when they needed to kind of dig deep and and keep pushing. In one case, you know, a soldier was, uh, and it's kind of a strange coincidence, but he actually knew... The brother of one of my real good army friends, and his brother, perished on nine eleven in the World Trade Center, and so he wrote that guy's initials in his cap, you know, as as kind of a motivational um, force. You know, hey, you know, this may be miserable for a short amount of time but you know this is kind of why we're here and drew strength from from that other people would you know draw inspiration maybe from a parent or a grandparent who had served in the military and gone through you know equally or or more challenging circumstances uh, another guy wrote remember the little things you know so a, a, an attempt that you know no matter how bad things are I'll at least have a few minutes to maybe, you know, scarf down an MRE or get an hour of sleep or maybe get on a, a, you know, an extra good day, get a letter from home and and get a chance to look at it. But to try to just, you know, derive some form of pleasure from, you know, the most modest, you know, circumstances. So they all kind of had some kind of a a trick, I think, for, you know, when moments got real dark to kind of keep pushing forward.
0: Well, it seems like the common theme is that what you talked about earlier is they they thought outside of themselves. They thought about someone else. Mm-hmm. That was the mm-hmm. thing that kept them going. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious why so I didn't ask this. like what do we know what like what the typical passage rate of Ranger School of a class is? Yeah, I mean, they
1: monitor that very carefully and and it it's it generally hovers anywhere from forty five to fifty five percent of the students who start will eventually graduate. But of that, group or, or of the starting group only about 15 to 18% will go straight through you know 9 weeks without recycling at all so yeah that that's kind of how it typically breaks down half of the people who start will eventually finish but but the majority of them will have to recycle one if not more than one phase
0: you know after following this uh, ranger class as a reporter journalist did it change the way you viewed your own ranger experience
1: uh, yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons I went back again was because I, you know, and I, m- I mentioned this in the article, I was not the world's best <laughs> ranger student. And, and, and I was surprised by that to some extent, because I, I had always been pretty successful at what I had set my mind to. Um, I was a, always a good student. I was always a good athlete. I, w- I was always a hard worker and yet, you know, I struggled. And, and so part of the reason I went back was to, to kind of identify, you know, what was it about this place that, Why did I have such a hard time? And so, yeah, watching these students, on the one hand, part of it was humbling because I would see some of the high performers, you know, I don't want to say they made it look easy, but there were a few students who really did, you know, not appear to struggle very much. They were in the minority, but they were there. There was one young special forces soldier, for example, you know, who just really didn't look much different on graduation day than he did on day one, (laughs) you know, and, and he had, and I was just like, How in the world is this guy? capable of getting through this, you know, without, you know, really even breaking a sweat, you know. Um, But at the same time, it was, you know, I saw plenty of other people who were probably more similar to myself, you know, who, who really did have to dig deep and and who, you know, for whom it didn't come easy, but, but at the end of the day, they, they graduated and they could hold their
0: heads high. Uh, Did you think there are any lessons or insights about, I don't know, the human condition uh, that Ranger School can give people, even those who, who've never gone through or probably never will?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that lesson of of remember the the little things is, is an important one that that can be applied, you know, to anyone's life. Um, I you know, I find myself certainly not every day thinking about this, but I mean, there are times when when things get tough and you can get stressed out, and then if you step back and you say, wait a second, you know, is it really that bad? You know, at the end of the day, I. I Hopefully, you know, well, I have a roof over my head. you know, if it's raining out, I'm dry. If I want to take a hot shower, I can, you know, presumably I can find some food. <laughs> you know, so you know as as long as some of these sort of elemental needs are met, you know, as they are for fortunately for for most Americans, you know, other stuff can can fall into place. But I think it's that idea of just not taking those little things for granted that can help, you know, power you through situations where, you know, other stuff may, may be, um, you know, more, more stressful in your life. So that, that was one enduring lesson. And the other one I think is just, you know, just very simple, but just don't quit. Usually things, if you set your mind to it and keep pressing ahead, uh, things will get better. One of the, the chaplain in the uh, mountains would tell the students, you know, because everyone I think wants to quit at, at one point or another. And he said, you know, the moment you quit and you go home and you get a good night's sleep and a good meal, you will regret having quit for the rest of your life because you'll have kind of scratched that itch you know that desire to to leave this place and to to rest and to eat and to enjoy those things but as soon as you enjoy them even for a minute you you're going to realize that you can't undo that decision and that you wish you hadn't you hadn't made it so that was another, uh, I think, lesson that you can apply to,
0: you know, any number of, of, of elements of life uh, today. Well, Will, the article is uh, Army Ranger School a Laboratory of Human Endurance is on OutsideOnline.com. What are you working on now? Uh, where can people learn more about the rest of your work? Sure. Well, I would suggest
1: anyone who's interested, take a look at my first book, which was uh, The Prisoner in His Palace, Saddam Hussein, His American Guards, and What History Leaves Unsaid. That's an account of some young American soldiers who... Most improbably found themselves uh, responsible for living alongside and guarding Saddam in the days before his execution and then ultimately leading him to his execution. And in the process of doing that, they developed some really str- uh, strange, I guess you could say, relationships with him in that they knew you know, intellectually that he was a very... Terrible person and he was guilty of of some horrible crimes, but they also found themselves kind of growing to like him uh, on a human level to the point that when they had to deliver him to be executed, you know, some of them found themselves in tears because they had developed this strange bond with this with this person so that that book hopefully people will enjoy and then right now um, I'm just beginning to write a book on what is expected to be the end of the minor league baseball's Appalachian League. Uh, Major League Baseball is in the process of getting rid of about 40 minor league teams. And in the case of the league I'm writing about, these teams have been a part of some of these small Appalachian working-class towns and cities for over 100 years. And their loss is going to really leave a hole in the lives of of these communities. But hopefully, they will find a way to to... to you know, restore baseball in some form and get back up on their feet. But I'm going to tell the story of kind of the forces that led to baseball's extinction. And then maybe if we're lucky, it's rebirth in at least some of these towns. I'll have to check that. That
0: sounds like a great one. Well, Will Barton-Werper, thanks for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My guest today was Will Bardenwerper. He is a journalist and the author of the latest article in Outside Magazine, Army Ranger School is a laboratory of human endurance. You can check that out on outsidemagazineonline.com. Also check out his website, willbardenwerper.com where you can find more information about his work and his latest book, The Prisoner in His Palace. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash rangerschool where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles we've written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad free episodes of the AOM podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to StitcherPremium.com, sign up, use code manliness at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS, and you can start enjoying the AOM podcast ad free. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay, reminding you not to listen to the AOM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action.